Cardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to this Thursday's episode of the Fraudology podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. And before I dive in to talk about even more by now pay later fraud, it's insane how much I've learned in the last week, as well as I'm going to finish talking about the BNPL fraud from the provider's perspective today, which is where I left off last Thursday. I just want to thank you guys. I got a text from my podcast producer slash the owner of the Rolled Up Podcast Network that Fraudology is a part of, Lucas Walker. He is an awesome partner and has really helped me a lot in just kind of refining and tightening up the podcast and bringing on sponsors and all that. And yesterday he texted me that this podcast has tripled in size over this past quarter. So I am blown away by that. We're now in the top 5% of all podcasts. I don't know how that was possible, but I really appreciate it. And I'm so grateful to you guys. Every note that you send, I try to respond to all of them uh, talking about a takeaway or asking a further question on a topic every post on LinkedIn about an episode that you liked, every guest I've had on this podcast, like all of that. This is a community podcast. I often say that like, this is your guys' podcast. If it wasn't for you, I'd just be this, I don't know, this fraud nerd talking into a microphone and having no one listen. So thank you for listening. Like I said, today I'm going to dive into a new fraud issue that marketplaces are experiencing, and it is related to buy now, pay later. Uh, it's insane. I actually was about to record an emergency podcast episode for this specific issue, just like a five, 10 minute one for this past weekend. However, I wanted a couple more details from one of the marketplaces that reported this to me. So we're just looping it into this episode. It's a good segue kind of into talking more about the fraud from the buy now, pay later provider side. Often I get asked two questions. One is what do merchants experience on buy now, pay later? And the other is what are buy now, pay later companies experiencing? For several reasons, people ask that question. But anyway, those are the things I'm going to dive into on this episode. But first, I just wanted to remind you that this past Tuesday's episode was a lot more fun for me to record than I ever expected. Um, And that's no insult to my guests. I just didn't know what to expect because I'd never met them before. Uh, But I got to speak with Martin Arita and Martin Sweeney of Ravelin. They're two of the co-founders. And they also used to be merchants. They worked for Halo, H-A-I-L-O. Um, out of the UK and EU and really saw a lot of fraud firsthand when the iPhone was first starting and apps were starting out and they built their own fraud provider out of that and spun it out. And we just nerded out. I mean, I don't know how else to explain it. I think you guys probably all know that feeling where maybe you go to a conference or you hop on a phone call and within a few minutes, you're like, oh, you're as nerdy as I am. Let's go. Uh, And that's kind of how that conversation was. We actually ended up talking for an hour before I realized, oh, guys, we have to record an episode and it's getting really late your time because I'm on the West Coast. So that makes international interviews a bit tough. Some of the things we talked about on that episode were PSD2, refund and promo code abuse, 
wallet fraud that their merchants are seeing on Apple Pay and Google Pay specifically, and some of the results of their recent survey, which I know a lot of you have downloaded and have confirmed that it's one of the best. I'm not just saying that because Ravelin's the current sponsor of the podcast, but I really appreciated the conversation and was pleasantly surprised. And thank you will be too. Two more quick announcements. One is that I am on the advisory board for FraudCon. Their live in-person event is June 26th in Tel Aviv, Israel. I will not be able to attend this year. I did attend in person in 2019. And I really, it, it's just, it's, this event is close to my heart. Is not only because I got the Legend of E-Commerce Fraud Award there, but it was really cool to see just a lot of international fraud fighters all come together and fraud fighters from all different sectors. It was just really fun. And I met some incredible people that have become lifelong friends. But also we're going to be having our third annual FraudCon virtual event. And they just opened up the call for speakers, which is so much fun. Basically, we want your war stories. We want case studies of fraud rings that you've investigated or uh, a specific new type of fraud that you've seen that you want to walk people through. I'm pretty humbled by the other people on the board. It's it, They're all rock stars in different parts of fraud. So if that's something that you would like to do, I think they're about 20 minute segments that you just record and then it, we put it all together in like a binge worthy way. Yuri Rivner is so dedicated and passionate about this and I'm lucky to be a part of their advisory board. And so I will put a link um, for those of you who want to share a fraud war story on an international platform, virtual platform. I will put the link in the show notes so that you can uh, submit there. And then also I have talked about this off and on, and this could be a whole long, it, this could be a podcast episode of itself if I talked about all the ups and downs of this. But last year I created F4, which is Fearless Female Fraud Fighters. I know from very personal experience and those of my friends and a few women earlier on in their career that I am lucky enough to mentor, it's different for us. And we don't always know our career path and we don't always know our strengths. We don't always feel comfortable speaking at conferences or other things like that or going for that promotion or going for that other job. And so this is a virtual event. And then there will also be a membership option for monthly membership just for community. It's a virtual event. It's going to be April 21st from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Pacific time. I'm hoping that that means that some of our international friends will be able to join us. It's really for anyone who identifies as a woman or non-binary who wants to just meet each other. And I have some pretty incredible women who are in this industry that will be speaking and uh, you're not going to want to miss it. So I will put the registration link there as well. There's also an option to sponsor an attendee if you're not able to go or if you are a male or somebody else who, who would love to sponsor somebody at this event. It really was life changing last year for the people that attended. Several of them now are in new companies, new roles. They're speaking at events. They're just so much more confident. And that is it's just, yes, there's a small fee for it, but I really, this is my passion project. Um, it just helps cover my time and other expenses. But really, at the end of the day, this is something I hope every woman listening to this wants to join. Okay, thank you so much for listening to all of my housekeeping notes today. But now here's the big headline. And this is something I really just wanted to make sure that 
everyone knows about because this is crazy. I released the episode for Buy Now, Pay Later, Fraud for Merchants last Thursday. And on Thursday, I mentioned the episode and then we were talking about other things on my bi-weekly retailer call, which has about 40 of the biggest, some of the biggest brands in e-commerce retail in the U.S. And we first started this call talking about refund fraud before we even knew what refund fraud was, just trying to figure out, you know, what were the commonalities and in the increase in the INRs that everyone was receiving? Was it does everyone use the same carriers and, you know, all those different things. So we've been through a lot and there's, we add retailers here and there as there's qualified ones that reach out, but we also have, there's a core group of us that have been doing this, having this call for two years every other week. And it's one of my favorites. One of the marketplaces that was on this call and yes, everyone on this call represents a well-known brand. So I'm going to do my very best to not give it anything away um, about who these are experiencing. But there were actually two marketplaces on the call who said that they've been experiencing this recently. And I think it's something that A, we all just need to know about, but B, I'm worried that this could have other ramifications and grow and morph into other things. So I'm going to try to explain it in the best way possible. So marketplaces are receiving a lot of reports from their buyers within a marketplace there's sellers and there's buyers the marketplace is facilitating the technology right so a seller is posting a popular item for much lower than the typical cost the example that was given to me was you know a popular brand of phone that would normally be over a thousand dollars it would be like two hundred dollars and so once again the adage is if it's too good to be true it probably is the buyer then makes the purchase and their name, their email, and their address are all sent to the seller so that they can ship them the product. The problem is that the seller never actually sends the item. So the buyer doesn't get the item, but there is a fake tracking number put into the file. So it looks like there's an item being sent. That way it, it's essentially buying the seller more time. So the buyer never gets the product. So they're more than likely they're filing a chargeback because item not received. But on top of that, about a month or two later, that person who tried to buy the item on the marketplace receives an invoice to their email from a buy now, pay later provider. There is one that's being targeted more than others, but there's another one who's also being targeted. So it's not just one. It sounds like there's higher volume at one, but it's impacting at least two of the big ones where essentially that seller who listed the item, their whole... Sardine is now sponsoring Fraudology, and one of the reasons I've been so impressed by Sardine is their founder, Soups Ranjan. You'll hear my full conversation with him in the next few weeks, and you'll get to hear about some of his experiences and his passion for fraud fighting for yourself. But the TLDR, or the high-level summary, is that he started out as a fraud fighter with an engineering and data science background, and he was tasked with quickly identifying a fraud solution for one of the fastest-growing companies in the relatively new and high-risk crypto industry almost a decade ago. But after learning about the available options for online fraud detection, he became frustrated with the existing tools on the market. 
And as fellow fraud fighters, I think a lot of us know exactly the kind of tools he was frustrated with. The legacy fraud tools that just return a score or a signal or a yes, no, maybe without your team getting to understand all of the aggregated data or the value attributed to each data point that goes into calculating that score or the vendor who won't give you your company's data for your own models and their own user interface was probably an afterthought. And let's be honest, Soup wasn't the only one who's been frustrated by the status quo in fraud technology. But not all of us are able to rage quit our jobs, recruit a few of the smartest risk engineers we've ever known, and go build a fraud platform that is truly built by the fraud squad for the fraud squad. A platform for KYC, AML, and payment risk all in one product that lets the client company decide how to best use the massive amounts of data that's available to them. And that's pretty much exactly what Soups did a few years ago. And the result of those efforts has become one of the fastest growing solution providers in fraud that I've seen in many years. And that company is Sardine. To learn more about Sardine or to book a personalized demo, you can go to www.sardine.ai or just click the link at the top of the description for today's episode. goal was to get the name, the address, and the email address from that buyer. That is the core amount of information needed for a buy now, pay later account. So oftentimes they'll also ask for birth date, but that's something that's pretty easy to find on social media these days, or even public records data. Really, the, that's all they need. And because credit report, credit reporting agencies aren't deemed or pinged on this, the only way that the person, the victim knows that their information was used to open a buy now pay later account is that they received the invoice at their email. I'm not 100% sure why they don't re also receive the email when the account is set up, but we know there's ways around that, right? There are services that fraudsters can use to just send hundreds of spam emails at the same time that an account opening the email is sent. And so the person owning the inbox will just think, oh, I got flooded and delete them all and won't, often won't see that account opening email. So I don't know that detail, but the way that they find out is they're getting an invoice because the credit card that was put on file wasn't theirs, but it also wasn't the person who opened it. So the payment didn't go through on the first payment. And so therefore they're now going through the collections process because their information was stolen. It's 100% a form of identity theft. It's just, this is how easy it is now. Now that there's a payment method that doesn't require a lot of personal information to open it up, this is happening. Why they have to go all the way through selling something on a marketplace, I'm not 100% sure because usually that information is available in dark market areas, but my guess is it's people who don't buy from dark market areas. They're the scammers that have these methods or sauce, as they call it, on Telegram and YouTube and others, and they're doing method fraud. And so this is their way of doing it. You just post something for sale for cheap on a well-known marketplace. There, Like I said, there are a few being targeted. Then once somebody buys it, you get their name, their address, and their email, and then you go over to a buy now, pay later provider and open an account, buy something else at a completely different retailer. And then now that person is now victimized twice. They didn't get their item that they thought they purchased on the marketplace. So they have to file a chargeback and their information has now been open at a buy now pay later and they have to now appeal and explain that wasn't them. It's something that 
these marketplaces found out one because of customer service calls and two because they have um, services or they you know have third-party vendors or I think one of them actually has an internal team that surveils social media posts about their brand so this is really impacting the marketplace in a brand perspective as well as the chargeback but their bigger concern actually is the brand over the chargeback and so that's something that for any marketplaces I wanted to make sure that you were aware as well as just as consumers I think it's really good to be on the lookout when you're shopping on a marketplace just know if this is significantly decreased, it was either stolen or it's not going to get shipped to you and your information may be stolen. So it's indicative of a much bigger problem. Now that we have introduced a fairly new payment method into the U.S., I talked about it last week. It's not technically a new idea, but these uh, VC-backed fintechs that are offering buy now, pay later or installment payments for easy payments of whatever the amount is often without interest. It's just giving fraudsters more creative ways to take advantage of these new systems. On that note, I'm going to continue talking about buy now, pay later fraud from last week. Uh, like I mentioned at the top of the episode, last week I really dove into what merchants need to think about and expect from buy now, pay later fraud as a payment method, even if you have chargeback from chargeback liability through your buy now, pay later partner, there's still some hidden costs there. So if you're interested in that and didn't listen to it, you can go listen to that. But today, in addition to talking about that new fraud method, I wanted to kind of go into talking about buy now, pay later fraud from the provider's perspective. Just as many or almost as many people ask me about what type of fraud do by now pay later providers experience or what are they seeing and what are they dealing with as I get asked about merchants oftentimes the people asking about buy now pay later fraud are vendors and solution providers they're trying to assess if their products can be helpful to them but at the same time there's people there are some merchants who are considering or have considered adding buy now pay later as a payment method, especially the, the biggest companies in e-commerce that I can never name publicly. I have reached out, at least one or two of them have reached out over the last few months asking me about that. And when I ask for clarity on if they're asking what type of fraud merchants who accept buy now pay later are seeing or what kind of fraud the buy now pay later providers are seeing, I am told yes. So I know there's just, there's a lot of interest in this. It's a fast growing market and rightfully so. I'm certainly not trying to say that it's wrong or bad. I, I personally haven't used it, but I'm not the average consumer. Um, I'm also not the average user of buy now, pay later. From what I understand from a lot of merchants that accept buy now, pay later and have for a little while, a lot of the new customers that they're acquiring through their buy now, pay later provider are in that Gen Z. So it's more like my daughter's age versus mine. So maybe I'm just too old for it. <laughs> Though I will say I am fairly curious to go through the process just to see how much information is really needed after learning about that most recent fraud I just mentioned. As far as like who I'm hearing this from, in part, it's from a few people that fight fraud for buy now, pay later providers, but also they're talking a lot with some of their partner merchants and asking their partner merchants for a lot of advice and information, almost as if they're consultants. And some of them have, have reported back to me as well, as well as merchants are studying what type of fraud buy now, pay later providers are seeing. So 
it's a mixed bag. And I just kind of wrote out the top things that I've been hearing lately. So the best way I can explain the type of fraud that buy now pay later providers are seeing is kind of to describe them in the buckets. Uh, so they have a few different buckets and for lack of a better term or categories of cancellation reasons. Whether they're canceling that application at the beginning, which truthfully doesn't happen a lot. A lot of times they will give at least a provisional credit of a relatively small amount. Maybe that's $200, $300, $500 USD, depending on a few factors. But then the other reason why they cancel account is after non-payment or after the lending has gone through, but then they've learned something else. And from what I understand... The latter is a bigger piece of their losses. And a lot of that comes from, I mean, I've talked about this so much, I feel like I'm blue in the face, but a lot of it comes from, you know, the number of active users is one of the biggest factors for valuations for VC firms and valuating technology companies. And so it would make sense that for a fast growing tech startup, they're not going to want to put as much friction, so to speak, on the account creation piece as they are on the back end. So that's why that is. That's not to say that they don't cancel transactions at the beginning, but from what I understand, it's more the latter. And a lot of people have asked me what type of information they're using if they're not using credit reporting. And to be honest, it really varies on the buy now pay later provider as well as the geography. Different geographies, different markets have different information. But in the U.S., at least, it's a lot of kind of social information, data to make sure that person exists and all that information is accurate. I know that there are some, I shouldn't say experimental, but just there are some different ways of evaluating someone's credit worthiness other than a credit report. As someone who went through a divorce at an early age, my my credit wasn't great for a long time. That didn't mean I didn't pay my bills. It, it meant that you know, I had my name on some things that weren't mine um, and weren't taken care of. And I'm sure I'm not the only one. I hope I'm not. That's not to say it's not the case now, but like, I don't necessarily think that someone's credit score equates to how good of a person they are. But I understand that's kind of the universal way and not just in the U.S. and other uh, markets as well. But because they aren't hitting and they may get top line credit bureau information. I mean, that's fairly common for, you know, e-commerce and other companies where you're getting all the information that the credit bureau has on the person, but not their actual credit lines and trade lines. So that may be the case, but it's not pinging the credit in the way that a credit card would, for example, or a personal loan would, or a car loan or anything else. Disproportionately, their number one reason for canceling accounts is credit risk. Often what happens is that the, the first payment is made, but then the following, you know, three payments, it's typically four installment payments are not. And so they're marking those as credit risk and fraud or not fraud, but credit risk and closing them. And that makes sense. However, when merchants are looking into those accounts, because this bucket, so to speak, of this reason has just gone through the roof lately, and some of them have reached out to their merchant partners to ask for information about these people, it's to the merchant anyway, it looks like synthetic ID or ID theft or really just fake accounts. What it seems like is happening a lot is that accounts are made in other people's name or in taking little bits and pieces like Frank McKenna and I talked about last week. 
on our Tuesday episode and talking about all that from the auto industry, but it applies to buy now, pay later and all lending, fraud and credit in general. I think it's really important that we look at those things as fraud because they are things that can be fixed. If you are addressing something as credit risk, but really it's an identity fraud issue or really it's a fake account issue, you're not going to get to the heart of the problem because you're going to be looking at ways to deem their credit worthiness versus finding out if they actually exist. And this is where identity is so important on payment methods. And I think this is something that the buy now pay later community is also learning in different at different times in different phases. And there are definitely just from my perspective, as far as companies specific buy now pay later providers that come off a lot with issues. There are a few that seem to come up more than others, but that is not something I will share publicly on this, as well as the more things that I will talk about with clients or when advising on which buy now pay later provider to use or their uh, strategy or whatever it is. I think it's really important to know that the majority of these are fake accounts. And that's what I really hope if any buy now pay later provider is listening, that they really dive into that more because it just seems like that's the problem. Because from what I understand, most identities can't be confirmed. And this could be indicative of young users, right? Gen Z, as they're referred to now. But even more likely, a lot of them are, like I said, fake accounts. Their identity theft, their synthetic ID. They're coming from marketplaces, from buyers on marketplaces who think they're getting a good deal and then their information is stolen. Like, it should not be that easy. So there's definitely a, a need for increasing fraud prevention on these providers. However, again, if you don't think you have a fraud problem, you're not going to fix the fraud problem. Other buckets, so to speak, in quotation marks, are related to payment fraud, where the first payment goes through, but then there's chargebacks. And, and that happens as well in this other bucket, but they are looking at it differently. But from the conversations I've had, and, and granted, they haven't been super recent. However, I know some of my friends have had conversations with them as well, because like I said, they're reaching out to some of their merchants for advice, is that they don't, it doesn't seem like payment fraud is as big of an issue to buy now pay laters as this other credit risk thing that they call it. Also, account takeovers and phishing scams are on the rise. Many accounts for buy now, pay later providers are for sale on all kinds of groups that I could find. There's phishing scams targeting users as well as via malware. You know, I had a really good talk with Robert Villanueva from Q6 a couple weeks ago talking about the types of fraud that Eastern European groups prefer. And that includes malware and that extract all login information, not just your username and password, but also all the session data. And that, that is really what's fueling account takeovers right now, way more than credential stuffing and certainly more than brute force attacks. So I, I'm going to keep bringing that up just in case not everyone listened to that episode. I think it's something that as more and more people are saying, wow, our ATOs are higher. I really think it's important to understand the source. Because if you understand the source, then again, you can fix the problem at the root rather than waiting down the line e e way before anyone ever accesses that login, right? You can put extra protections in place on that account if you know which accounts in your system have been sent to malware hosts. Essentially, buy now pay later providers are facing similar issues as other consumer lending companies. Right now, most, if not all, are being 
funded by investments, not profits, and regulators in the U.S. These are my notes from last week, so I'm trying to remember what I wrote. Are starting to ask questions and have submitted inquiries into business practices and lending decisions, as well as fees to the biggest providers. So in the U.S., it was a group in Congress, a committee in Congress, as well as the CFPB, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, that sent out letters to some of the biggest final pay later providers in the U.S. to understand their business practices as well as their fees and making sure that they're consumer friendly. Right now, they're not regulated. So in they're really just regulated by competition. And that's kind of loose at best. You know, in theory, one of them could charge like a $100 late fee if they wanted to. There's no regulations around it. So I do think that that piece is interesting to watch as far as the regulations. I think they're all on pins and needles as to what's going to happen there, but are probably also lobbying if I were to venture a guess. But this space for BNPL providers will be one to watch to see if it continues to grow with legitimate consumers or if fraud and not charging many fees and regulations slow down the, the growth. You know, again, like I mentioned just a little bit ago, with VC funds funding growth for tech companies, I'm not being critical of that. What I'm being critical of is such a big factor in valuations is number of accounts and even number of active users. And a lot of times that demotivates or just has a conflict of interest within the fraud department versus the whole rest of the company on actually canceling these accounts, purging these accounts out of your system, stopping them from even making an initial purchase. And that is one that's going to be kind of a race, right? Like how much continued investor funds they can get while also losing a lot in this way. And I'm not saying, I mean, I want to be really clear that I know some people that work in fraud prevention for some of the final pay later providers. And, and there's one that I think has been a little bit more conscious of fraud and risk more than the others. Some of the others are kind of a little bit more reactive and learning as they go. but. Not all of them, but I'm certainly not trying to pick on them. I want to be really clear about that. But I do know that this is something that people really want to understand. And so I'm just sharing my perspective from the pieces that I've heard from people in my network and clients and other conversations I've had. Some merchants have received communication from their buy now, pay later provider recently. This also came up on my retailer call that additional fees are going to be assessed on chargebacks, specifically the non-fraud chargebacks, the service related chargebacks. And from what I understand from the way that the letters were written, it's going to be when a merchant doesn't provide order information back to the buy now, pay later provider because they're trying to actively fight those chargebacks on behalf of the merchant. However, the merchant is liable, so I'm not exactly sure why if, if a merchant decides not to respond, why they can't just debit the merchant and move on versus debit them and penalize them with an extra fee. There were a couple people on that call that were going to go do more investigating and reach out to their partner and to better understand this. So if I get more information, I will definitely uh, keep it updated. But it does just feel like as a whole, this industry is creating policies as it goes, because like with most new business models, they might factor in some risk, but they're not. You're not always going to know where the holes are until the bad actors find them. And, and that's actually true with existing business models, too. But it's especially true for new business models, new payment methods. We've seen this with peer-to-peer -peer payment networks for the last, like, what, three, four years, just how much fraud is impacting them. We've seen it on PayPal for the last 15 years. 
and this is not abnormal. I'm not, I'm certainly not trying to just shine a spotlight just on buy now, pay later, but they are a new payment method. And a lot of people in this industry have questions about it. So that is what I'm doing. On that note, I hope that you're having a good week. I know it's busy out there with fraud. I am putting together some of the reasons why I believe e-commerce fraud has skyrocketed in the last few months. And I'll be sharing that next Thursday. And I look forward to speaking with you soon. Thank you again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.